the book of Acts tonight. I pray you'd help us to be attentive, Lord. Help us to be able to get something from the lesson taught, Lord. I pray you'd help me to say the things, Father, you would have me to say, to preach with boldness and with your power, Lord, and that we would uh, learn something from your Bible tonight. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 28, and we dealt with the first part of Acts 28 last week. If you remember, Paul got bit by a venomous snake, and he shook off the beast there, and and we preached all about that last week. And I'd like you to just notice as we finish the book of Acts tonight, uh, for the last few weeks we've been traveling with Paul as he makes his way to Rome. And in this last chapter of the book of Acts, he finally gets to Rome. And there are a few lessons that we can learn from the text tonight, and I want you to see them uh, quickly. Point number one I'd like you to see about the text uh, tonight, the latter part of chapter number 28. I'd like you to notice something. Number one, God's way is always more effective than our ways. God's way is always more effective than our ways. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, I'd like you to understand something. Go with me real quickly to Romans chapter number 9. If you're there in the book of Acts, the very next book in the Bible is Romans. Romans chapter number 9. And I'd like you to understand something. First, let's let's answer this question. How did Paul end up in Jerusalem anyway? How did he end up in Jerusalem? You remember, he was a missionary. He had uh, gone with Barnabas to Antioch, and at the church of Antioch, that was his home church, he got sent out to be a missionary, and whenever he came uh, back from the mission field, you know, he went on his first missionary journey, second missionary journey, third missionary journey, he'd come back to Antioch. How did he end up in Rome? If you look at Romans chapter number 9, look at verse number 1, the Bible says, this is Paul speaking, and we understand it's through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but it's still the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, you need to understand something. He begins this topic, and he begins by saying this. I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying to you. Now, the reason he gives that disclaimer is because the next statement he's going to make is so outlandish, it's so outrageous, it's so out there that people would think, ah, you don't really mean that, or ah, that, that you're lying about that, you don't really feel that way. And, and he begins by saying, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. He says, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He says, look, the Holy Ghost knows that what I'm about to say is the truth. You say, what is he going to say? Look at verse 2. He says that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He says, my heart's heavy. He says, he says, I have a great heaven. He says, I have this sorrow. He says, why? Look at verse 3. He says, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, don't miss that. That's a powerful verse. Paul was saying, he said, I, I, I'm going to tell you something, and it's, 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 it's not a lie. I'm telling you the truth. The Holy Spirit knows that this is why I feel. He says, I, I, I have great sorrow, and he said, I have great heaviness. And here's why. He says, I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ. Now, that word a curse there, you may recognize the word curse. The word a curse means to be cursed, or it means to be damned. It means to be uh, 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 condemned. And he says, I wish, this is what Paul said, understand what he's saying. He saying, I wish that myself were accursed, were damned, were condemned from Christ, which means to hell. Here's why. Look at what it says. For my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you see that? Paul says, I have such a love for my brethren. Now, he's not talking about his spiritual brethren, but he says, my brethren, he says, my kinsmen. That's talking about his family. You know, your next of kin. 
And he says, according to the flesh. So he's talking about his, his, his physical family, according to the flesh. He says, I love my brethren. I love the, the, the people I'm physically related to, the Jews I'm physically... I love them so much. He said, I would literally give up my salvation and be damned to hell if it meant that I could force them to be saved. Now look, that's a powerful statement. I don't know that any of I, I don't know that I would give up my salvation to have anybody else in. Because salvation is, by, is, is a free gift. I mean, if you, don't want, if you reject it, it you, you can have it for free. But Paul had this sorrow so much that he said, even though they could accept, nothing's stopping them from getting He said, if I could force them to be saved, and it meant losing my salvation, he said, I'd do it. He said, why, why, did, why did Paul say that? Well, you got to understand, and go back to Acts 28. If you remember the history of Paul, Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted the church. And I believe Paul, when he thought about the Jews rejecting Christ as Savior, he blamed himself. Because in Jerusalem, remember the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people saved. Shortly after that, uh, you know, thousands of people saved. The church there at Jerusalem was growing and flourishing. It was exciting. They needed deacons. They had pastors. They were preaching. Miracles were being done. Uh, Peter was healing people. And all this great work was being done in Jerusalem. The Jews in Jerusalem were going to be saved. And then it was put to a stop when one man named Saul of Tarsus brought persecution. And the Bible says he wrecked havoc of the church. He made them run out of Jerusalem. And he stopped that revival that was happening. And Paul said, I stopped the gospel being preached to my own brother. He said, now that I'm saved, I wish I could give up my salvation if it meant getting those people saved. He said, I, I love those people. He said, I'm so sorry that I stopped them from getting the gospel. And he felt bad about it. Go to Acts 19, look at verse 21. Acts 19, look at verse 21. Acts 19, verse 21, the Bible says... Acts 19.21, it says, After these things were ended, Paul, I want you to notice, it says, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, look what it says, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now notice, Paul knew God wanted him in Rome. But he said, Before I go to Rome, he said, I must also, he said, I, I, I have to go to Jerusalem. He says he purposed in his heart to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem to see the Jews saved. Because he blamed himself for the fact that they weren't saved. He said, I have to go to Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to go to Rome, but before I go to Rome, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now here's what you got to understand. Uh, well, well look, at, look at Acts, you're there in Acts 19.21, look at Acts 20.16. Acts chapter number 20, look at verse 16. Acts chapter number 20, look at verse 16. The Bible says, for Paul, Acts 20.16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted. That means he was in a hurry. He hasted. If it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. I want you to notice, Paul with purpose, he was in a hurry. He wanted to get to Jerusalem. His desire was to get to Jerusalem. And what he wanted to do in Jerusalem was a good thing. He wanted to preach the gospel. wanted to get people saved. Look at Acts 21. Look at verse 4. There's one problem with Paul's plan. Acts 21 verse 4. Look what it says. It says, And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit. Now I want you to notice something. The Bible says these disciples, they said something to Paul. But the Bible says they said,
which means this is the Holy Spirit speaking through these people to Paul. Okay, that's God. And it says, And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should, notice what it says, not go up to Jerusalem. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit told Paul through these disciples, do not, do not go up to Jerusalem. I don't want you in Jerusalem, Paul. That's what God told Paul. Look at verse uh, verse uh, 10 in Acts 21. Look at verse 10. Look what it says. Paul continues with his plan to go to Jerusalem. Because he feels so bad, he's going to do a good thing anyway. I mean, the, the, uh, he's, going, he's not going there to do something bad. He's going there to preach the gospel. God said not to go, but, but he, he continues on his plan to go. Look at verse 10. It says, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea, that's the area where Jerusalem's in, there came from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. The Bible tells us a prophet came from Judea. Look at verse 11. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Notice, that's the Holy Ghost speaking. Thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. You see that? Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem, from Judea, comes a prophet. The prophet shows up. He picks up a coat. And he ties his own hands around with the coat. And he, sa- and he doesn't realize it's Paul's coat. And he says, whoever this, uh, this coat belongs to, this is what the Jews are going to do to this person in Jerusalem. The Holy Ghost was saying that. The Holy Ghost was telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul went to Jerusalem anyway. In blatant disobedience against God, what he said, well, he went to do a good thing. He went to preach the gospel. He went to get people saved. Yeah, I understand. But you got to know this. That the, uh, what's that saying? The, the end does not justify the means. Well, he's going to do a good thing, but he's got to do uh, disobey God to do it. You know, it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. People say, well, uh, Pastor, I, I'm going to go to a church that preaches out of the NIV or the New King James. Or the, but you don't understand. I, I'm there to help them become King James only. Look, is it right for, for you to be under the preaching of a, a Bible that's corrupted? Well, well but I know, but I'm going to try to help them. Okay, Paul. That's fine, Paul. But God told you not to go to Jerusalem. Well, uh, Pastor, I know that, that uh, the church I go to. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go to this church, Pastor, and their music, they, they play rock and roll music, but I'm going to try to get them on the old hymn. You're not going to get them on the old hymn. Well, I'm going to try to get them to be sober. You're not going to get them to be sober. I'm going to try to get them to, to preach the gospel. You know, you're not going to do it, Paul. If God, you know, it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. And Paul says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to catch you safe. And God says, no, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. I don't want you to go there. They're going to find you. They're going to imprison you. And Paul says, I'm going anyway. Why? Because I'm going to get people saved, God. Don't you understand? Now let me explain something to you. And let me explain something to you very, very carefully. Paul disobeyed God and went to Jerusalem, justifying it by saying, I'm doing a good thing. And I don't know if you noticed this. I I kept noticing this the whole time that we're preaching through it. Remember when, when Paul was on his missionary journeys? Remember as we got preaching, he's getting people saying, everywhere he's going, people say, people say, people say, people say. Do you notice the last few chapters when he was in Jerusalem? 
And when he got arrested, and he went through, and he, and he stood before Felix, he stood before Festus, he stood before King Agrippa, and all those things. Do you remember that? Did, did you notice this? That all throughout that entire passage, those entire chapters, the, from the moment he said this to Jerusalem, did you notice this? No one got saved at all. The Bible doesn't show us Paul getting any Jews saved. At Jerusalem, not one. And in fact, the Bible emphasizes for us that Paul is very ineffective in getting people saved while he's there. Look at Acts 21. Look at verse number 30. Acts 21, look at verse number 30. I know we're looking at a lot of Bible. I thought that's why you came to the Bible study. But um, just just, uh, stick with me. We'll look at the scriptures and I'm going to make an application. and, And hopefully you understand. But look at Acts 21. Look at verse number 30. Acts 21 and verse number 30. When Paul shows up to Jerusalem, Acts 21.30, it says, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and uh, forthwith the doors were shut. Verse 31. And as they went about to kill him, talking about Paul, they went about to kill him, tidings came out of the chief captain of the band that, uh, that all Jerusalem was in a uproar. And i got to ask Paul a question. How's your revival going, Paul? It's funny because this isn't what God said was going to happen. I'm pretty sure the prophet told you they're going to bind you. And when he shows up, he's not even there for a day, it seems like. And the Jews are already in an uproar trying to kill him. Look at Acts 22. Look at verse number 22. Acts 22. Look at verse number 22. Acts 22, verse 22, the Bible says, And they gave him audience. So now, Paul, and I don't have time to give you the entire context. We've been preaching through this. Hopefully you, under, you remember some of this. But now Paul finally gets a chance to preach. And he's been preaching to the Jews. And the Bible says in verse 22, here's how they responded to his sermon. And they gave him audience unto this word. And then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. That's how they responded to his sermon. Could you imagine? Would you, would you, would, would you consider uh, me an effective preacher of the word of God if I stood up to preach and then when my sermon was over, you guys were like, You should die for that sermon. <laughs> That's bad. Very ineffective. Not, not working out very well. Look at Acts 23. Look at verse number 12. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I've actually talked to, my, to myself. I know it's because I was preaching on your sin. But that's alright. You'll get right with God one day and then you'll like it. But look at Acts 23. Look at verse number 12. Acts 23. Look at verse number 12. Look what it says. And when it was day, certain of the Jews... Look what it says. These are the people he's trying to reach. Certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Not working out for Paul, right? Not getting a lot of people saved. And like I said, not only that, but the Bible emphasizes for us that people were not getting saved. The Jews who Paul had been getting saved for years now aren't getting saved. Look at Acts 24. Look at verse number 24. Acts 24. Look at verse number 24. Acts 24, 24. The Bible says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. He heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So, so Paul got to preach about his faith to uh, Felix. Look at verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I want you to notice that. Paul's preaching the gospel to him. Paul's preaching about his faith. He's trembling and he says, Go away, Paul. He says, When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. And there's no record that that man ever got saved. Look at Acts 26, look at verse number 28. Acts 26, look at verse number 28. Acts 26, verse 28, Paul gets to preach to Agrippa. Look what it says. 
Then Agrippa said unto Paul, look what he said, Paul just preached his entire sermon to Agrippa. And the Bible says in Acts 20, uh, uh, 26, 28, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You see that? The whole time Paul's in Jerusalem, the people he's trying to reach are trying to kill him. The few times he gets to preach the gospel to them, they say he ought to die. He preaches to the Gentiles and they say, Go away, Paul, I'll bring you back in a convenient season. Uh, uh, King Agrippa says, Almost thou persuadest me to be. And, and it almost seems like God is putting a magnifying glass on the fact that Paul, the entire time, when the moment he decided to disobey God, has, is not getting anyone saved. Now here's the funny thing. He disobeyed God to go to Jerusalem to get people saved, and the whole time he's there, no one gets saved. Isn't that amazing? Go to Acts 28. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, And when he came to Rome, Paul finally leaves Jerusalem and gets to where I believe God wants him to be. Bible says that when he came to Rome, the centurions delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, I want you to notice, verse 17, Paul gets to Rome, and he says, I better be proactive with this whole, you know, my relationship with the Jews hasn't been that well, I better get pro- proactive about this, and he calls the chief of the Jews together. So he gets to Rome and he calls all the, the main Jews, the chief of the roots, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Now look, these are not saved people. These are Jews who are not saved. And he says, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people, notice how he's on the defensive. Because he, he's like, I don't want these people to try to be killing me the whole time I'm here. He said, I'm going to try to make friends with them. He says, Men and brethren, he says, Though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Who, when they had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. Do you understand how he's explaining himself? Verse 19. But when the Jews spake against it, it was con- I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar. Not that uh, I had ought to accuse my nation of. Look at verse 20. For this cause therefore have I called for you. He said, this is why I called you. To see you and to speak with you. Notice... He's talking to unbelievers, so he's not really talking about Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about Jesus Christ in a second. But he's saying, look, I called you to see you because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with his hand. He said, look, look, this is what happened, okay? And he's explaining himself to them because he doesn't want them to hate him, you know, to try to kill him like they've been doing in Jerusalem. Look at verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 21. And they said unto him, notice their response. We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed us, showed or spake any harm of thee. Look at verse 22, very interesting. This is what the Jews are saying. Not believers, not Christians. They said, but we desire to hear of thee. They said, look, we want to hear from you, Paul. What thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, now the word sect there, the idea of a sect is a cult. And they're talking about Christianity, which Christianity is not a cult, by the way. But we've seen in the Bible, oftentimes those who mock at Christianity will call it a cult. And they said, look, we've heard of this sect, Paul. We've heard of your preaching. We've heard of these uh, Christians, you know. And we know that everywhere it is spoken against. We know that all the Jews speak against what you preach. But we're curious, Paul. We want to hear what you have to say. That's a different response than he was getting in Jerusalem, right? Look at verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging... 
to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both of, out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. So the, he shows up to Rome, he calls the chiefs together, he's on the defensive, he's trying to you know, uh, just get good relationships, and saying, look, I didn't really do anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. And they said, hey Paul, listen, we haven't heard anything about the Jews in Jerusalem, but we have heard about you, we have heard about your sect, we're curious, we want to know what you have to say, we'd like to hear. The Bible says they appointed a day, they set up a day, where they all come out to, to where Paul's at, and he gets to preach to them from morning till evening, expounding and testifying the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus. And I want you to notice something very uh, peculiar. Verse 24. Look what it says. And some believed. Did you see that? What, what, what does it mean when someone believes? It means they got saved. And some believed the things which were spoken. What was spoken? He was preaching about Jesus. And some believed not. Now let me tell you something. That's how it works. Every time you preach, does everybody get saved? No. Some believe and some don't. Some rejected some, but I want you to notice something. Paul spends over two years in Jerusalem, disobeys God, goes to Jerusalem to get the Jews saved. And he gets to Rome, and the first time he preaches, some of the Jews believe. And here's what I'm trying to explain to you, okay? I, I, I didn't belabor the point, but here's what you're going to understand. That doesn't make sense. Where do you think you're going to get more Jews saved? In the capital of Israel? Or in the capital of the Roman Empire? In the place where all the Jews are? Or in the place where all the Gentiles are? But here's the thing. Paul's desire was to get Jews saved. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to get Jews saved. God says, don't go to Jerusalem. They're just going to imprison you. They're just going to beat you. They're just going to try to kill you. Don't do it. I want you to go to Rome. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem anyway. I'm going to get Jews saved. He disobeys God. Gets nobody saved. He finally gets the will of God. And guess what happens? He gets Jews saved. You say, what is that about? Here's what you got to understand. God's will is always more effective than your will. Than my will. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense, God. I don't understand how that works, God. You want me to go to Rome, and you're saying in Rome I'll get more Jews saved than I will in Jerusalem? How does that work? Well, let me tell you something. That's how God works. Go with me real quickly. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets, one of those big books in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55. When you get to Isaiah, put your bulletin or something there, because we're going to come back to it here in a little bit. But I'd like you to go to Isaiah 55, look at verse number 9. Isaiah 55, look at verse number 9, and you just got to understand something about God. If you're going to be successful in your Christian life, you just got to get this. Isaiah 55, look at verse number 9. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 9, it says... For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let me tell you something. You're not going to understand how God works. You're not going to understand what God thinks. But His ways are higher than your ways. successful. You say, well, I get more Jews saved than Jerusalem. No, you won't. Well, it makes more sense to go to Jerusalem. I know, but His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. God's way is always more effective. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Let me give you some examples from the Bible. Maybe you remember these stories. Remember the story of Gideon? 
Who's going to Gideon is 300 men. Remember the story of Gideon in, in the book of Judges? Maybe you should read the book of Judges so you, so you, you remember. But Gideon had, uh, what was it, 32,000 soldiers. Do you remember that story? 32,000 soldiers. And they were going to go up against an army that was much bigger than that. And, and Gideon, get, God commands Gideon to get an army together. He gets 32,000. He says, God, I have 32,000 soldiers. And God says, that's too many. And Gideon says, what? And he says, God says, Gideon, go, go to the men there and, and, and just say this. If you're afraid, go home. And Gideon said, okay. And he gets the 32,000 soldiers. And he, and, he, and he says, God asked me uh, to tell you that if you're afraid and you don't want to go into battle because you're scared, you can go home. And 20,000 men packed their bags and went home. That's in the Bible. And his 32,000 soldiers went down to 10,000 soldiers. And, God, and Gideon goes to God and says, uh, What are you doing? Uh, we, we, uh, God says, uh, Gideon, how many do you have? 10,000, God? Too many. What? Too many. Let, let, me, let me give you a test, Gideon. I want you to go down to uh, the river over there, and I want you to have the men, your 10,000 men, drink water. He said, here's what you're going to do, okay? The men that get down on all fours and drink water, and they lack the water like a dog, he said, send those home. The men that get down on the knee and bring the water up to their, to their mouth, he says, those are the ones that are going to fight, okay? So I want you to do this. Gideon said, okay. And he goes down, and guess, guess how many lapped water out of the river like a dog? 9,700 of them. And Gideon said, you 9,700 go home. And God took an army that was already outnumbered of 32,000 people down to 10,000 people down to 300 men. And Gideon has an army with 300 men and then God says this to Gideon, get rid of their swords, they're not going to need it. Now hold on God, we're going into battle. Don't you think we need a weapon? He said, no, no, no. Get rid of their swords. You're not going to have to. You're not going to need it. He says, here's what I want you to give. I want you to give them a candle. I want you to give them a, uh, I forget the terminology, but he pretty much said like a, like a vase. And I want you to give him a trumpet. God, you want us to go into battle with, with, a, with, a, with, with a candle, with, with, with a, 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 a vase and a trumpet and not take the sword? He said, yes, that's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go to the camp of the enemy and surround them. And 300 men surrounded that camp there with those, uh, with those lights. And they had those, 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 the, that, uh, their weapons there. And, and, and when Gideon gave the, the, the sign, they broke that. And they sounded the trumpet. And they said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They yelled out. And they did it in the middle of the night. And the, and, and the, the enemy there, they thought that a huge army had come. Because they heard them scream like that. And they saw the lights and they said, Well, not all the soldiers would have a light, so there's got to be, those are just the guys that are holding the lights. There's got to be a light. And they started killing each other because they were so, it was the middle of the night, they didn't know what was going on. They picked up swords, they were killing each other in the middle of the night. They killed each other. And you say, God, that doesn't make any sense. That's how God works. God works. Well, you say, Well, that's kind of a weird story. Okay, let me tell you this You heard of David and Goliath? Remember Goliath? came out to fight against the children of Israel. And the army of the Philistines and Goliath had his champion, they had their champion Goliath, and then uh, the army, and he, and, he, and, he, and he, you know, dared them to fight. And no one wants to fight Goliath. And really Saul should have been the one who fought him, because the Bible tells us that King Saul was the tallest, biggest man of all Israel, and no one wants to fight Goliath. And here comes a young lad named David. And he says, the battle is of the Lord. He said, I'll fight you. 
Now, hold on a second. You've got all these military guys, and you're going to take a little shepherd boy and make him fight Goliath? He said, but he wants to. Remember, do you remember the story? You know what I'm talking about? Remember they took him to Saul, and they tried to put, they tried to put armor on him? Do you remember that? He said, well, why are they putting armor on, on David? Because it makes sense to go into battle with armor. But he says, I haven't proven these. He's like, just, he's like, just give, give, me, give, give me my sling, give me a few rods. He's like, I'll take care of it. Doesn't even go in with a sword. Fights Goliath, kills Goliath. You say, why does that happen? That's how God works. You want another example? Remember the Lord Jesus Christ? So what about Jesus Christ? Remember when he came as a babe? Remember he grew up? He became a preacher? He became a prophet? And he's performing miracles? You say, well, that was cool. Yeah, but here's the problem. That's not what they were expecting, those Jews. When the Messiah came, they were expecting a military leader. They were expecting a man of war coming in with an army to free them from the Roman Empire. And here comes Jesus, a preacher. Born in a stable. Born in a manger. And you say, why does God do that? Let me explain something to you. Go with me to... Uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. Look at verse number 27. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. Look at verse number 27. Why would God choose Gideon? Why would God choose David? Why would God choose uh, the Lord Jesus Christ? Why, why would God work that way? 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. Let me explain something to you about You say, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to send 300 soldiers in for a battle. It doesn't make any sense to send a young lad in to fight a seasoned war. It doesn't make any sense to send a babe to be the savior of the universe. It doesn't make any sense to send Paul to Rome to get Jews saved when he can go to Jerusalem. But you do understand. Acts one twenty-seven says this. But God, look what it says, hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the, notice the next word, weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. The Bible says that God chooses the weak, God chooses the base, God chooses the the things that are not desired, God chooses that which we would not choose, God chooses that which would be rejected. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ said that He was the, that He was rejected? The stone which the builders rejected has now become the head of the corner, says the Bible says about Jesus Christ. Say, why does that, why does God work that way? Do you remember the Sunday morning sermon? Remember we were preaching on the Beatitudes and we were were preaching on on this phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we were talking about how you've got to be needy and you've got to be needing and in need of God. You've got to be humble and God, you say, and you've got to, here's the thing, you've got to be weak. You say, why? Here's why. Look at verse number 29. Here's the key to it. You say, why does God work that way? Here's the key, verse 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Do you see that? That no flesh should glory in His presence. You know why God needed Gideon to go into battle with 300 men and no weapons? Here's why. Because when Gideon won that battle, nobody said, Gideon, you're a great warrior. Gideon, you're a great leader. Gideon, you, you must have pulled that up. Nobody said that on that day. You know what they said? God! Uh, to God be the glory. God did 
something. You're trying to raise children. You're trying to have a marriage. You're trying to work a job. You're trying to live a Christian life. And you're, let me tell you something. The weaker you get, the more God helps you. The weaker you are, the more. Because the, the less people say, you know, man, he did that. God said, I don't want to part of that. Because I don't want you getting the glory. He said, I, I, I want to do things in a way that don't make sense. I want to flip things on, on themselves. And I want to accomplish something in a way that others will look at it. And they will say, well, God did that. You say, Pastor Jimenez, do you really think you're going to build a church uh, starting you know, in your house, preaching the way you do with the old hand? Here's the thing. The weaker we are, the more God can work. Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm trying to be a success. Paul said, I'm trying to be a success. I'm trying to get people saved. Just get weaker. Stop trying to logic it. Stop trying to think about it. Stop trying to figure it out. You know, we sit there and we try to figure out, well, if I do this and if I do that, and, and if this happens at that moment, and if that, you know, if you just realize, realize that you just got to be weak and you got to let God do it, you got to let God raise your kids, you got to let God help you in America, you got to let God help you in your finances, you got to let God work in your life and you say, I'm poor in spirit. Jesus said, Blessed are Blessed is, are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. But see, here's, your, here's our problem. We're trying to do it. We're trying. Here's how we pray. God, I'm praying for your will, as long as it's not this and this and this. As long as it's you know, this and this, that's okay. If that's your will, then that's what I'm doing. That's what Paul was doing. Paul, God, God, I'm praying for your will. I'll go wherever you want me to go, as long as it's Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Okay, but uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem anyway, okay? God, and I just want you to bless it. And Paul, God said, I'm not going to bless it, Paul. And that's how you and I live our lives. God, I- I'm going to do this, God. Well, I don't want you to do that. Oh, okay, but I'm going to do it anyway, God. And, and I expect you to bless it. And God says, I'm not going to bless it. Well, when are you going to bless it, God, when you get to Rome where I told you to go? Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Is this just going over your head? I don't know. God's will is more effective than your will. And you will accomplish more when you do it God's way than if you try to do it your way. You say, God's way doesn't make any sense. I know. But God is God. And I'd rather have God on my side. I'll tell you that. I'd just rather have God on my side. When did Paul see people saved? When he got on God's side. When are you going to be a success in your Christian life? When you get on God's side. I want you to know that God's will is always more effective than your will. Let me show you something real quick and we'll be done. Acts 28. Acts 28. Acts 28, look at verse number 25. I I, I want you to notice that not only is God's way, I'm sorry, more effective than our way, but God's will is more fulfilling than your will. Look at verse number 24. And some believed the things which were spoken of, and some believed not. And when they had agreed among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost of Isaiah the prophet unto the, our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross. That word gross there is talking about being waxed large, big, bulky. It's talking about being arrogant. It's talking about pride. He said, Your heart is waxed arrogant. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, I don't have time to go there, I wanted to go there, but Isaiah 6.10, this is, uh, Paul is preaching this out of Isaiah 6.10, you'll find the same passage in Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse 10. And let me tell you something, there, there are people like this. There are some people, you'll preach them, preach them, preach them, and they will never get it. They won't get it because their eyes are closed, they're, 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 you know, they're, and they're not going to get converted, they're just not going to hear it. 
Okay, verse 28. Be it known therefore unto you. This is what Paul said to them. He got some of them saved, but some of them rejected it. And then Paul, here's how Paul reacts. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul spent the last few years of his life trying to get Jews saved, not accomplishing anything. He gets to Rome, God finally lets him see some Jews saved, and then, but the ones that rejected him, Paul says this, I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles because they're going to hear it. He said, what's that about? Well, let me, let me show you something real quick. Go, go with me to uh, uh, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Acts chapter number 22, look at verse number 21. Acts 22, look at verse number 21. Acts 22, look at verse 21. Let's do it quickly. Acts 22, verse 21. Look what it says. This is what Paul said. Paul speaking. And, it, and he said, um, this is what Paul said, verse 21. And he said unto me, this is Paul saying, this is what God said to him. Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. You see that? I want you to notice something. Paul was the apostle sent to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle sent to the Jews. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Paul wants to go to the Jews. God said, don't go to the Jews. That's not what I had you do. I had you go to the Gentiles. Paul says, I want to go to the Jews anyway. And then when he finally gets to preach to the Jews, and he gets the Jews saved, then he says this, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Say, what is that about? Here's what you understand. Not only is God's way more effective than our way, God's will is more fulfilling than your will. Paul, God called you to preach to the Gentiles, and when he finally got the Jews saved, you know what he, what he realized? I'd rather minister to the Gentiles. And here's what I'm thinking. Paul, that's what God wanted you to do this whole time. See, you and I are trying to run around and evade God's will. See, God wants you to raise, you know, that's what I, I, I told women. God, God wants you to raise that child, not put them in daycare. And that's, why, why do you have a child to let a stranger raise it? I don't, I, that doesn't make any sense. Well, if I work a job, then I can have more money, and I can put them in this, and I can put them in. I know that makes sense. Well, we can't raise the children on one income, and I, I know that doesn't make sense in our world today, Paul. I get it. That's no logic. You can get more Jews in Rome. I get it. In Jerusalem. But God, see, God gives us a will. See, my, God's will for my life is to pastor this church. And, I, I, and if I spend my life trying to run from it, you say, well, I'll find more fulfillment here. I'll find more fulfillment there. I'll, I'll go, you know, uh, Mother said, I'll, I'll go be the CEO of some company. And, and I'll find fulfillment there. And you'll find that you won't find fulfillment there. Because that's not what God called you to do. And you've got to just decide and you've got to figure out, what did God call you to do? Well, I'll find more fulfillment. No, you won't, Paul. You'll get you saved, but you'll say, I want to go to the Gentiles. And God said, that's why I created you. To go to the Gentiles. Let me tell you something. God's will, God's way is more effective. God's will is more fulfilling. Say, my life isn't fulfilled. It's because you're not in God's will. But God's will doesn't make sense. Just trust God. God will take care of it. God will do it. Not only that, can I give you one more real quick? Look at verse number 30. We're done right here. Look at, look at, Verse 30. And Paul dwelt two years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding. You know what? The last thing we can learn from this text, I said number one, God's way is more effective than our way. I said number two, God's will is more fulfilling than our will. Number three, God's word is more accurate than our word. I said, what are you talking about? You know, there's a, big, there's a big debate in Christianity of how did Paul end his life? And the, by and large, the major uh, thing that people teach is that Paul was beheaded by Nero, uh, by the em- emperor of Rome, Nero. Now look, let me tell you something. That's not in the Bible, number one. That's 
history, whatever. But here's the thing. I'm not saying that that's not what happened. But I, I would like you to understand something. The scriptures paint a different picture. I don't have time to go through it. I'm, I'm, I just don't have the time. But go through the life of Paul. And who's constantly persecuting Paul? The Jews. Who's constantly helping Paul? Saving Paul? Giving liberty to Paul? Put him in a house for two years and let him preach. Look what it says, verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God. Teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. All throughout the scriptures, the Romans are giving him freedom. The Romans are letting him go to his friends. The Romans are saving his life. The Romans are, are you know, they don't want to put him to death because they say he's not. You know, all throughout this story, the Jews are attacking him. And the Romans are helping him. And then we're supposed to believe that at the end, you know, at the end of these two years... Paul just has these liberties, sitting in his house. Anybody can come, look at verse 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came into him. Anybody could come and see him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things uh, which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And then, at the end of that, they just cut his head off. If you believe that, that's fine. I'm not saying that that didn't happen. I'm just saying that's not in the Bible. And the Bible paints a different picture. Now, if you go, I'm not going to take that time to do it. You go to Second uh, Timothy chapter four when God talks, when Paul talks about he's ready to die, he talks about being offered, and we understand that. He also talks about being delivered in that passage. Study that out. He says he was delivered of every evil work. Now, I, I just don't think that Paul would say God has delivered me and will deliver me from every, every evil work at the end of his life, and then say, well, except for tomorrow when they chop my head off. I just don't see that. You say, well, what, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. God's word is always more accurate. You know that his, you know, people say, well, history says this. You know that history is written by man? You know that if the Nazis would have won World War II, they would have written the history and we, the Americans would have been the evil ones? Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, are you saying the Nazis aren't evil? Look, the Nazis are evil. But what I'm trying to say is that history is written by man. And usually who wins the war gets to write the history. But God's word is always accurate. You say, well, God, it doesn't really seem like the Romans had... A, they, they, it seems like they liked Paul. I know. But they taught me at Bible college that Nero cut his head off. I know. Well, which one should I go with? I, I'd go with God's Word. Because God's Word is always more accurate. God's way is always more effective. God's will is always more fulfilling. And God's Word is always more accurate. I wish we do this. I wish we get back to God's Word. That we live in God's will. And that we do it God's way. You say, if I did those things, what would happen? You'd be much happier. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for Romans, or for Acts, uh, chapter 28. And Lord, I just pray you'd bless the preaching. And you'd help us to make decisions to live in your will. To be in your word. Lord, and to do things your way. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen.